Welcome to Cultivating Roots. Today we're joined by Caleb Bryan, the head groundskeeper for the Hickory Crawdads. Although he's new to the Crawdads this year, Caleb is not new to Hickory, attending CVCC before moving to Texas. We had a great time recording with Caleb and are excited for him to begin his first season in Hickory. If you're new to the show, you can find more episodes at cultivatingrootspodcast.org or hit us up at the Twitter handle at crootspodcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Cultivating Roots. Today we have Caleb Bryan from the Hickory Crawdads. But first, I want to start with you, Matt. We went a year and a half, I believe, without baseball in Charlotte. And I famously remember some of the podcasts that we've had you would lead off with, and we're still not playing baseball. So you had a college game, was it about a week ago? So what was it like to have your first baseball game? Yeah, it was good, to say the least. I mean, looking back on it, I guess we did, you know, we we played one college baseball game last year in March. Forgive me, I can't remember the exact date. I believe it was March 10th or March 12th, and that was a Duke-Davidson game. And the day after that game is kind of when things really started shutting down. I think Duke was actually one of the first schools to – to shut down their operations, and they did so the next morning after that game. And so we didn't uh, we didn't play much baseball last year. We we did host uh, a local slash regional summer collegiate team uh, last year with very 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 limited fan base. I, I think we were able to get creative, and we were able to get about 175 fans a game in for that, but nowhere near the operation that we that we typically run. And so last Saturday, um, I guess it was two Saturdays ago now, we, we did host the Charlotte 49ers versus Rhode Island, uh, which didn't go without its challenges. Uh, that game was actually supposed to be the, the Charlotte 49ers versus College of Charleston. And College of Charleston, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, had to pull out because of some COVID-related issues. And so Charlotte scrambled and <clears throat> they were able to lock down a weekend series in place of the original scheduled series with Rhode Island and they, uh, Rhode Island actually hopped on a bus and came down here, spent Friday driving, which was originally scheduled to be a, a game day for the two teams. And so our first, first day back ended up being a, uh, a college doubleheader. So it, it was great to get back, but it, thankfully it was a pretty day. Um, but we, uh, it was, it was cool. We were thrown in the fire to say the least. My assistant, Troy Garrett, had started uh, Friday, the day before, and grounds crew uh, got called in. A lot of new employees who hadn't hadn't really been part of our uh, operation were here for that first day. And we had a couple hitches, but everything came off. And looking forward to our next. And we have, uh, as of right now, uh, we have we have clerks clerks guys coming up here Tuesday to play uh, UNC. So looking forward to that one. And Carolina versus Carolina is that is that what y'all call it, Clark? Carolina. This is Carolina. I don't know what they call it there. It's actually kind of funny because South Carolina is the home team. I always thought that was interesting that they were coming to Charlotte and Chapel Hill was coming to coming to Charlotte. But South Carolina's 
always the home team in that game, I feel like. so. We're excited to have you here today, Caleb. Uh, we hope you're doing well, and uh, you're new to Hickory, but you're not new to North Carolina. So won't you tell us a little bit about uh, you know where you're from and, and how you ended up in uh, uh, in Hickory with the Hickory Crawdads? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys reaching out and having me. I'm thrilled to be here and and honored. As I'm new in the business, I, when you guys contacted me, I was like, why do you want me? <laughs> But yeah, anyway, so I mean, I'm relatively new to Hickory. I, I went to college here. Gosh, it's probably been 10 years ago now. It don't seem real. But yeah, so I went to college here. But I'm originally from Hendersonville, North Carolina, which is where I grew up. And then moved moved here to, to Hickory, went to CVCC, lived here while I was in school. And then after after college, moved back to Hendersonville. And then that's where my wife and I lived for probably several years until we moved to El Paso. So, but it's, it's definitely nice to be back in Hickory. I, I love this city. It's a, it's a great place to live. And, and we're close to my wife's family now that we, we have a, have a one-year-old now. So it's, it's good to be back and close to family and kind of, kind of in the middle of my family and her family. So. Now, now Caleb, you said you went to CVCC. So that Catawba Valley Community College. Yes, correct. Yes, Catawba Valley Community College. Is that in Hickory? Uh, yeah, it it is in Hickory. So it's just on the other other side of town here from the stadium. And they have they have a turf program at CVCC for those who don't know. Correct. Yes, correct. And so, I, I honestly, when <laughs> I guess this kind of leads into talking how how I got into this business in the first place is. When when I was in high school, I kind of I had hopes and dreams of going to play in big time college ball, whether it be football or baseball. And ended up my senior year tearing my ACL for the second time, um, and so I, I really didn't. All my hopes and dreams of playing in college felt like they were down the drain. I didn't get to play sports my senior year and play in Legion ball. I was able to finally get the opportunity to play in college here at CVCC. And so I kind of came in with, it was either going to be, I'm going to the military or I'm going to get a chance to play college ball. And kind of around the same time, I, I got the call to play college in the college. So I chose that, came here, and I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living. All I knew is I just wanted to go play baseball. And so I came here and, and we were with the admissions department and, and kind of find out that there's a turf program. And I'm like, well, i I've been around cutting grass my whole life. I mean, I, I love doing that. I love striping up a yard or something. I'll, I'll do that for a living. That sounds great. So I had no previous idea that there was even a college degree for for turf grass. And so um, I started in that, started playing baseball, and then just kind of fell in love after that. When you were playing baseball, how much work did you and your teammates do on the field? So we did quite a bit of work. You know, we did the standard kind of day-to-day before and after practice operations, uh, you know, sweeping your edges and, and dragging and watering and stuff like that. Uh, but with me being in the turf program, one of our projects was to take care of the baseball field. So I got a lot more hands-on experience during that time of, of mowing and fertilizing and just kind of, you don't really get the day-to-day operations of managing a baseball field um, at that level because it's not really... I'd say it's not maintained to the level that 
necessarily you would maintain it here or at like a division one school, but I did get a lot of hands-on experience and it, it was a good training ground for me. You went from graduating college and, and moving back to Hendersonville, small town. And then from there you went to a, a big city in El Paso. So what led you to El Paso? Yeah. So my wife and I, we, we decided that we kind of felt God calling us to, to be a part of this a mission organization. And so my wife and I, along with um, another family, moved to El Paso to start a church in Juarez, Mexico. And just I know that can sound confusing for people who, who don't really know or who haven't really been there. It's kind of El Paso, Texas. sits right on the border of Mexico and directly across the border is Juarez. And so it's almost like one giant city with a big wall, a border running through the middle of it. And so like for us living in El Paso, working in Juarez, you know, it was, you know, you just hop on the highway and across the border and you're in Mexico. You know, we lived, our house was a mile and a half from the border. Um, so it's not like, you know, it's, it's all in the same place. But from going, going from small town Hendersonville, being a mountain boy, it was, it, it was definitely an adjustment for me. I know because being from a small town, you know, well, you know, you got to drive 20, 30 minutes to, to really go anywhere that has anything to do. And then you get to the city and, you know, where we were living, you know, for the first whole year we were there, my wife and I didn't even have a car. We just rode our bikes to wherever we needed to go or, you know, hopped on a longboard and went down to Walmart. And so, the, the convenience and kind of just the way that you can get around was definitely an adjustment. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I love change. I love new adventure. And so for a while, it was, it was really fun to me just to kind of experience a new way of life. It was a lot of getting used to just the way that how people are, are different in the city, how you live your life differently in the city versus in the country. Um, I couldn't really just, you know, go for a walk outside or sit on the back porch and listen to the crickets. You know, I'd sit on the back porch and, and listen to cars and airplanes going overhead. Um, so it, it was a lot different. And also with it being the desert, and that was a huge adjustment. Just going from everything's green, you have rivers and trees and grass everywhere to you have sand and rocks. And everyone's yard is, you just dump a bunch of rock in it because that's all that'll grow. And so that was a huge adjustment for me. But the desert did grow on me. It has its own beauty and its own special way. But I did miss my grass. I did miss the trees and rivers and, and just being able to be outside all the time. I didn't miss the humidity, um, but I did miss everything else. <laughs> You know, obviously the church took you to El Paso and then to Juarez. How did you transition back into the turf industry from there? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny story. So with us being, so we were support-raised missionaries, which means that we had to go out and raise our own salaries, which is probably one of the hardest jobs in the world. And hats off to anyone who does it. Um, it's very stressful, very difficult. But with us being support raised missionaries, you know, we didn't make a whole lot of money. You know, we were 
we kind of got to a point where we were surviving off of, you know, like around $20,000 a year. And that's just, that's, that's tough for, you know, a married couple to survive anywhere with that. And we kind of got to the point where our, our funds have started running super low and, you know, we kind of were like, okay, I've, I've got to, I've got to get out of full-time ministry and, and have another job somewhere. And I, you know, I never really wanted to get out of the turf business in the first place. I, you know, it, it's a, a passion of mine, something that I'm good at, something that I love and enjoy. And so I've been searching and searching, trying to find that opportunity, but being in the desert, you know, there's not really, <laughs> there, there's not a whole lot of options. Not a whole lot of grass out there. Is yeah. It? And so I, I had been working with one of my friends who is his father on a fireworks business. And so in El Paso, they have the the AAA team for the Padres, the El Paso Chihuahuas, and then the pro soccer team, the El Paso locomotives. And, and then we have, and then there was UTEP university of Texas, El Paso. And so his dad would do fireworks for all, all of those events. And I was working with him. So, uh, yeah, so I was working with the fireworks. And so we happened to be having an event for, um, I think it was, it was a, a soccer game that night. And so we kind of set up in the ground shop and everything. We're hanging out. And, and for me, you know, that was a place I was comfortable. So I was just making conversation, meeting everybody. And I was sitting there talking with the, the head groundskeeper. It was like, yeah, I'm, you know, went to turf school. I have a background in turf and, and golf course. And, you know, I've, I've always dreamed of being in the sports side of things. Um, he goes, oh, you got a turf background and all this? And he said, well, if you want to get back in the business, just give me a call. So I left. And a few days later, marched back to the stadium with my resume. Like, I'm here giving you, giving you a call. I'm, I'm ready to get back in the business. And they had – they had just the, the soccer team was new and they were looking for someone to to run the practice facility because you know with you know you're having the baseball team and a soccer team you know everyone knows how how much it is to to run a soccer stadium and then you add something totally like a whole nother side of the business onto it that that's a lot for these guys and so they just happened to be looking for someone and they were having a very difficult time getting someone to come to El Paso. There's not a whole lot of people in the area with the experience, the degrees, the know-how. And I just kind of happened to meet and, and come in there all at the right time and was able to get that job there. So, so that's kind of how I got back into the turf business there by, by doing fireworks. <laughs> Caleb, who, who was that groundskeeper at the missions that, that gave you that opportunity? Yeah, so the the groundskeeper for the Chihuahuas was Travis Howard. Travis is a good one. He, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's a buddy of mine, and uh, I have a lot of respect for Travis. He he's he's put put out a really good product down there. I haven't seen his soccer product. I guess that would be your soccer product, but from a baseball standpoint, out in what was the the Pacific Coast League, he was he was one of the top tier top tier guys out there. So. Yeah, I have a tremendous amount of respect for for Travis and just the way that he runs things and and his his knowledge of everything. He's he he quickly become one of my heroes. I'm on the phone with him all the time. I'm like, dude, don't hate me for calling you so much, but 
I'm like, you're, you're one of the best in the biz. How do you do this? And, and so he's, he's great. And he's played a big part of me, me getting this job here and just advance quickly advancing me in, in my career. So my hat's off to him and I will forever be indebted to him and just the opportunities that he's given me. So. Is that set up down there a dual setup? They're doing soccer and baseball together. Yes. So it's they'll so they'll uh, they'll come in and, and sod sod all the the skinned areas before a soccer game. Um, so it's uh the way they do it they they got it they got it going on. But it's uh it, it's rough on those guys. They uh they put in a lot of work. So. So what's that process like then to to convert to soccer and then to convert back to baseball? Is that a are you doing that often or is that a couple times a season? This year I'm not sure how how many times they're doing it. I know they they were doing it pretty often. So you would have you know, you would have a homestand and they would kind of work because the seasons run, they intermingle together. So so you're having to swap over your stadium in the middle of the season. So you'd finish a homestand and that night. As soon as the game's over, you start prepping your edges for sod and everything. So basically what we would do is we'd go in with like a little manis tiller and till up all our edges of the skinned area. So that way, when, when we laid the sod in, it would be a smoother transition. There wouldn't be a big hump or anything uh, for playability. And so we would till that out we would lay down plastic on the skin area just to help with contamination, you know, of, of our infield and and just the ease of, of pulling it back up. And so once we'd get all that prep, and then they had a retractable mound there, which saved a lot of time. That, that's one of the that's a really cool invention. And so we'd retract the mound, fill it with sand, get it level, till up all our edges, and then Normally about 3 a.m. in the morning, a truck would show up with sod and we would just start laying sod. We'd have a company come in and help us. And, and so we, we would lay all the skin areas with sod, prep it, start watering. And I mean, they were, they'd be ready to play a soccer game the next night. And then as soon as that soccer game, soccer game is over, you start, start ripping all the sod out, push it up with a tractor or whatever, just by hand, throw it in the dumpster. And and then start fixing your edges again and get ready for baseball in two days. Did y'all have a local sod supplier down? Well, I mean, obviously, probably not local in the middle of the desert. But where were you getting your sod out of? So first, we had a local sod farm that we would get it from, but just our location, the the arid weather, the the desert, it it was hard to get the quality of sod that that we wanted for for the team and so the first year it was it was a local farm and then we kind of transitioned into getting it from i think i think the last farm come out of arizona around phoenix and during that time we had done a, a field renovation and transitioned over to tiff tough and so we we just began to bring that sod in from from arizona so what was the thickness on the side you were bringing in? I mean, because out here, and we've, we've talked about this on some of our episodes, we're fortunate that we have the ability fairly easily out here in the southeast to get sod on plastic. Is that what you guys were bringing in, or were you just 
did you have that luxury or were you just bringing in thick, thicker cut off of a native soil field? You know, they, they've done it a couple different times and, and used it and done it a couple different ways. Um, but most of the time it was just more, more or less thick cut sod that they would cut up and bring in. And cause you know, we're, we're, we're only using it, you know, for the games, we're only using it for, you know, just a few days. And so, you know, we can get the good use, the, the use out of it that we need for those few days. Now, now if we were renoing the stadium, you know, we would probably look for go shop around a little more for, for the best option. And so, but, you know, with it, just bringing it in thick cut, it, it worked. It did its purpose for us. So Clark, you, you have a, a history of having events and throwing down some sod quickly. We talked about that in a, a podcast before. What are your thoughts about having to change a field over between two sports like that? And some of the concerns that you might have to look for the, the pitfalls you might have to watch out for. Well, number one is doable, right? So, you know, I look at, what the guy, those guys are doing. And again, I'm always going to say this sometimes, you know, as a sports turf manager and as part of the industry, you look at it and you say, well, I wish we weren't doing that. But at the same time, it's also a way we as sports turf managers make ourselves very useful and uh, a part of the team as far as uh, making our fields as usable as we can make them. So it's doable. And there's a lot of teams, I think, that are doing it. But uh, obviously, the, the, the quality of the side makes, uh, makes a difference. And uh, as Matt said, you know, we, we here in the southeast, we've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of people growing sod on plastic. So that's a really good quality product when you're using uh, either putting it down and playing on it right away or uh, whether you're overlaying a synthetic field, which uh, I've actually had the opportunity down in, in El Paso several years ago to, to help out on a job where uh, we laid grass on top of the synthetic field there at, at UTEP uh, on top of the football stadium synthetic, which was a, it was a neat experience. It was, it's, it's, uh, I know exactly where you're talking about where you are, Caleb. I mean, it's, it's uh, being able to look across the border and there's Juarez, you know, right outside of the stadium, it seems like. But um, but yeah, we, we did an overlay there. And, you know, that was looking back on that one. Our sod was probably not the greatest. So anytime you're doing those those quick turnaround, I, I think the sod quality is the is the best thing. But but on that one in particular, uh, we I think we had a tough time finding good sources and that that kind of I think determines the quality of your product but I think what these guys are doing to turn these baseball fields into soccer fields and back and forth back and forth is you know I can't imagine the stress and the work that goes into that but at the same time you know I have a lot of respect for what they're doing and and I think from an industry standpoint uh you're you're able to to make yourself really an important part of your team uh, both teams, the baseball team and the soccer team. And so I think those sports turf managers that are doing that work are, are really, you know, putting themselves in a good position to, with their organizations, you know, that's, I don't know if anybody on that organization, if you're doing those two roles, that's any more important. There's a lot of stress and there's a lot of pressure, but they're allowing their organizations, their stadiums, whoever the owner is to, to generate more revenue. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Clark, there are a lot of teams from a minor league standpoint, I say a lot, there's a handful of teams from a minor league standpoint. And we've actually been, I've been working on this a little bit here in Charlotte over the, the past couple of weeks, but that are going in and, and 
putting grass down on their skin surfaces, you know, when the baseball season ends and leaving it and, and leaving it throughout the, throughout the winter months and the fall month, piggybacking off the, the way that they did it with Caleb, just putting it in temporarily and taking it right back out. Now teams are going and putting it in and leaving it for three, four five months at a time so that we can, you know, obviously the business is changing, right? Especially because of COVID. And it's kind of a way to let you utilize your facility for non-baseball type events all through the fall months. So um, it's just amazing the things that we can do and how you can make a baseball field four or five months out of the year. You can actually make it a multi-use venue that that the dirt doesn't come into play for an event like football or, or soccer, so to speak. So. When you guys were doing that, did y'all get any feedback? I'm just curious as far as the playability from the players, because that's all I've I've never been on one of those fields that was a, you know, a, a, a crossover, and I've always wondered about what the soccer players, because those soccer players sometimes can be a little finicky about ball roll and those type things. So I'm just curious how they how they feel about playing on that field. Yeah, no. So for for the stadium there in particular, the the players they. It, the playability was was fantastic, and you know we never got a lot of kickback from the players. A, a lot of the comments that we would hear and things that we had run into is is kind of your goalie boxes, um, because one goal would be it kind of lines up right in the sodded area around first base, and so it, it can it can move a little bit there, and so we would just always. We do our best to keep it as tight as possible in that area. Roll it a time or two if needed. Keep keep the surface damp for for playability for ball roll. And then we, you know, soon as halftime comes, we there's two of us. We'd we'd run out and and just kind of check certain areas, throw some sod staples in if needed, and just kind of really pay attention while the game's happening. Of okay, is a player slipping here? Do I see a piece of grass coming up? And so just with that attention to detail and the attention to detail of putting it, putting it in, it, it played very well. And then just the way that we would tuck the edges, you, you know, you, it, it didn't really affect a lot. You know, there, there's a slight hump in the field, but I think it was so slight that you just, you, you don't really notice it much as long as your edges are, are tucked in there nice and neat and, and tightly. So, um, so yeah, we had a lot of positive feedback on it. You know, obviously, I'm sure they would love to be on a field that was solely grass, only for soccer, as would anyone. But the circumstances that we had, that they were very pleased with it. What was the feedback that you got on the back end of the deal from the baseball players when they, you know, when you would go through that transition of converting it back to baseball? So that I can't, I don't really have an answer for that because. The main part of my experience was kind of the the tail end of baseball season and then into COVID. And so the baseball team wasn't even playing. Um, but from a manager standpoint of of trying to turn it back over to baseball, where's, you know, with it being only a baseball field, you know, you're really tilling and rolling your edges maybe a few times a year. And, you know, they're they're kind of good to go and just touch ups here and there where these guys every soccer game they have, they're, they're redoing the edges like, like we're preparing for opening day. And so, you know, we, we all know how tedious that can be. And just the attention to detail that, 
that you have to have in, in that task. And so they're, they're doing that often, you know, and so that, that, that's hard and that that's hard on your crew. Cause you know, that's a, that's a, that's not an easy job to do just from a manager standpoint, you have stuff like that, that you have to worry about and just always worrying more about your edges. Um, but with your question, I, I, I can't really answer that from the feedback of the baseball team. So you get back into turf out in El Paso through the soccer practice facility and helping at the stadium. How'd you get back to North Carolina? My wife and I, we had a baby last March, right at the beginning of COVID. Worst time in the world to have a baby. <laughs> and so we we had her and, you know, with us being 30 hours from our family and, and all that, we just kind of we just kind of started thinking of, you know, with, with us having a kid, we, we really want to race her around family. We want her grandparents to, to be something more than a, a face on a screen. My, my niece and my daughter are only nine months apart. So, so we wanted them to grow up together. So we just kind of thought, you know what, it, it's time. Let, let's go back near family. We'll have the help, the babysitters that we need. We'll, we'll have the, the community you know, a family to be around. And so we just kind of felt like it was time. And, and so we just kind of made the decision of, all right, let's, let's go back to North Carolina and, and let's do this. How'd you get in touch with the, with Hickory, with the crawdads there? So, yeah, about, about the time that we had decided to move, you know, I started looking at jobs all around, and I knew from my experience on the sports side of things in El Paso, I, I just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and so I knew I wanted to go sports field side. And then so I was looking at, I mean, honestly, you know, as you're moving, you're just looking at what every job that's out there, what can I get to just kind of get settled in in the area? And so th this job here was open. And so I started talking to Travis and everything. And man, what do you think? You think I'm ready? Like, I'm, you know, I'm nervous. I've never been the head guy. I've only been assistants and I, I don't know. Do you, should I do it? He was like, yeah, you're, you're ready. Like we've, we've equipped you. You're, you, you know what you're doing. Just be confident and, and go in there and do it. And so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot, shoot, put a shot in the dark and send my resume in. And, um, and lo and behold, they, they called me back. And, and so we started that process. This has to be a, a difficult year too, to jump back into baseball. Do you know uh, with COVID shut down, what kind of uh, maintenance plan was put in place at the stadium uh, over the past year? So with here, it's a little bit different uh, of a story. I don't really know what kind of plan was originally set in place, but the previous groundskeeper had, he had an accident, passed away last year. and so. I don't exactly know when, maybe May or something. I, I, I'm not sure. So he, he had unfortunately passed away in a super sad situation. And so there wasn't a, there, there wasn't a groundskeeper here for, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll call it last May till November when I showed up. And so there wasn't, it wasn't being taken care of, you know, someone here full time. Um, so during that time, you know, our, our amazing front office staff stepped up and, and began to, 
to help take care of the field and, and do what they can and, and hats off to them and the job that they did to keep this place rolling and in the face of that kind of adversity and, and just the things they went through of, you know, losing a team member, losing a friend, those guys, those guys stepped up and, and, and they, they did amazing. And, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, me say I had to step into a sales role of just the, the things that, you know, I would have to learn quickly learn and, and, and do. And so for them to step out onto the field and into the world of the groundskeeper, um, they, they did an excellent job. And then calling on uh, a guy who used to be um, the groundskeeper here several years ago, Andrew Talent, he would, he now works for the city of Morganton. And so he would come in after work and, and help out with, um, you know, with mowing and, and just kind of the groundskeeper side of things. Hey, like, we need to get some vert down. We need to get some pre-emergent down. You know, we should probably get a get a spray app out soon. So he would help with stuff like that. So there was a lot of people that that teamed up together to to help take care of this place and and not let it fall by the wayside during that time. So that's interesting to me. So so you had front office people uh, that that had to kind of keep things going uh, while they they were looking for a groundskeeper. Do you? Do you feel like maybe those guys gained a new appreciation for for the job? I, I wonder, have you had any of those conversations with those folks? Did it open their eyes a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and, and you know, I think it's really helped our general manager here, mine and his relationship moving forward. Um, you know, because because hats off to him. He's he's great. He's one of those he he doesn't mind to, to pick up a rake and, and come down and help out. So he's always asking, Hey, Hey, what do you need? Can I, can I come down and help you for a minute? Um, you know, what, what, what's going on? You know, I can, I, I've got, you know, I've got two hours. I can come down and help if you need it. And so I think some of that is just kind of seeing what actually goes on on the field and, and now wanting to to be involved and just having that, that respect for the position and what goes on in the field, because a lot of times, you know, if, if you don't do it, you don't realize the workload and the stress level that goes into maintain a field. You know, a lot of people think, Oh, you just, you just cut, you just cut grass, you put headphones in and you go mind numb and, and that's it and you go home. Um, but that's the furthest from the truth. And so, you know, I think a lot of these guys kind of really, saw what goes on on the grounds. And so it created a, a respect and, and honestly a, a big teamwork. And so people are now on, okay, what can I help with? You know, and now everyone knows how to do something. So we have these weekend tournaments and like, okay, yeah, I'll grab a rake. Yeah. I know how to drag now. So we can, I'll, I'll help you, you know, pull drag the field or, or rake up after or whatever. So it, it's been great. Caleb, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. You, you're non overseeded and then, Growing, growing Bermuda and Hickory, is that correct? Yes, that is 100% correct. So what what have you seen in terms of – have you seen any challenges with that or up to this point with the spring that we've had? Or I, I know that you posted something on Twitter the other day um, in regards to the rainfall that we had. Welcome to the world oh, of non-overseeded Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. That's, that's honestly probably been the <laughs> – the biggest thing to deal with because every time that we get one of these big flooding rains, which honestly seems about weekly since I started here, um, is just cleaning all that up. And so, so that, that's been tough 
you know, my biggest concern is, you know, this, this is really a learning year for me. And with us trying to, in, in the years of COVID and, you know, we've seen that, okay, we're able to push all these events to incorporate this, this other form of revenue. And then also our normal baseball season. So how do we run the, how do we incorporate more events to, to create more revenue? And with, with us being non overseeded you know, as a groundskeeper, you're always thinking, okay, where and there, this Bermuda, it, it's, it's not growing. So it, it can't repair itself after all these events. And so what can I do creatively to, to help with that? Because, you know, for us, you know, a lot of times the groundskeeper will be like, oh, I don't want any events on the field. This is my baby. Don't touch it. But also, you know, like we're running a business. So I want to provide the front office staff as many opportunities as they can to generate revenue for the club and also produce the highest quality field for the pro team when they show up. And so, you know, just the challenges of, of the wear and tear of the field and, okay, what can I do to speed up the process of green up? And so, I mean, just little challenges like that of, you know, the wear and tear, the, the, the ribbons after the rain and stuff like that. But so far, I, I think it's completely doable. I think it'll be better for us in, I guess, the realm of green up. Um, Cause you know, you can have a lot of complications, um, a lot of setbacks once you kind of spray out your ryegrass and, and timing that correctly. Um, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy with no overseed because I think just the, the Bermuda does a little bit better, quicker. Are you, are you guys starting to see green up? This past right. week, we really, I've really seen a lot of green up. I went out and, and hit it with with a little bit of manganese and a small fur app, and so to kind of help speed that up. And so, you know, we'll have a little bit of a setback with this cold weather, um, this little cold snap coming in. But you know, I think we'll be good as soon as we get back up into those seventies. We'll be we'll be rocking and rolling in no time. Matt, for those people who may not have seen that tweet or those who oversee as heavily as we can, what kind of challenges, you know, are you presented with when, when you get rain on a non-overseeded field? Yeah, and I don't know, if, you know, looking back at my comment, it's probably not necessarily just non-overseeded, but I'll tell you, we experienced it a lot last summer. Last year was a little bit different for us in that we sprayed our rye out on March 18th which is earlier than I've ever sprayed, sprayed ryegrass out. I typically don't spray my ryegrass out until actually the last week of August, first week of September prior to overseeding. And that goes back, we've talked about it before, but just a lot of where we're located in the city, um, not knowing what the transition is going to be like. A lot of it hinges on the previous winter, but we felt really confident last year. And what we found was by getting that rye out and not having baseball and be able to, to being able to be aggressive from a cultural practice standpoint with a lot of a lot of verticutting, a lot of airification. The type of verticutting that we do in Charlotte is we have reels on an old 2653 verticutting reel. So it's not it's not a super aggressive verticut, but we were doing it a lot. And what we were doing was we were creating not in single verticuts, you know, a lot of debris, but just over time, it was just a lot of, a lot of leaf material that was accumulating and we do run buckets. So we're, we're picking a lot of it up with buckets 
on our mower. Um, but every time we would get one of those heavy rainfalls, just from what we weren't able to collect, we got that ribboning effect through, throughout our, our outfield. And for those of you who, who live in this area, it, it seems like the, I was telling my assistant yesterday, we had, we had a pretty heavy rainfall here yesterday, again, in Charlotte. This seems to be a part of the country that when it rains, it rains. Um, there's not much, you know, you don't get many of those days of just a slow soaking rain. We're just in that part of the country that it's, it's heavy rainfall after heavy rainfall. And it seems like that's, it, it, it's really becoming earlier and earlier and earlier in the year. It's something that we may have seen in June, July type thunderstorms where, and maybe it's just because we're not playing baseball and I have time to focus on those type of things, but it can be, uh, it can be a challenge just keeping that, keeping that cleaned out. And as you know, obviously as fields get older and you start to accumulate more and your density increases in your stand, you, you, you start to see it more and more. Did you inherit that 2653? The one that I have with, yes, I did. Um, that's, that's mine. That was mine. Was it? Yeah, that was my primary mower uh, for a long time. And uh, I, I cut a deal with your predecessor to take it off. Really? My hands. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. so that that unit is our dedicated. We have we have dedicated verticut reels to that unit. We I didn't even have that mower in the facility for the first year or two that I was here. It was in storage. And then we brought it, brought it out of storage. And when we brought our new fleet in, brought the 7200 in we brought it in with the verticut option and uh, the real setup on those two machines is transferable between those two and so it, it it's nice to have we run it a lot but not quite as aggressive as you may see in a traditional traditional pto driven verticutter so Hey, Matt, real, real quick, back to the ribboning effect. And, you know, I mean, maybe I can learn something or somebody. What's what's your process of cleaning that up? <laughs> Man, I tell you, I think the way you did it is about the best way. I had it happen last year before one of our uh, before one of our summer collegiate games that we had. Basically, what we did was the same thing, I think, that you did, um, other than we, we didn't have the opportunity to blow any of it off. And we just, we drug it out, um, let it dry as quick as we could. And then we put a mower back over the top of it so that we could get that game in and then, uh, came out following and, and, uh, we do have a pro sweep here. So we have the ability to, to sweep, but you know, that material is just so light. It's not, it, it's not like an aerator core. So you pick some of it up, but it's, it's so light that it's not going to fall all the way to the back of the hopper on that deal. You know, we run, we run our blower too. But the issue that we have is we have 360 seating in this ballpark and that material is so light that when we blow it all to the warning track, inevitably we're getting some contamination up in our stands. Um, and with it being a COVID year uh, and not having, not having our cleaning crew in the ballpark routinely, it made, you know, I, I wasn't in the business of going and cleaning, cleaning our seating bowl after, you know, I just didn't have the time, didn't have the staff to do that. So that was part of the issue that we found with it. But, you know, I think during the course of a, of a regular season, 
we probably would not see it as much just because our maintenance practices are going to be back to what they normally are and more intensive and and working on, on getting the bulk of that stuff up. I was really hoping you just had a magic way that that it was way easier than dragging and raking and blowing. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. I don't have it. If you come across one, let me know. Maybe Clark knows something. But. You have to be excited to have a little bit extra help this year, though, right, Matt? You spent the last year doing a lot of your practices by yourself. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. When my assistant started, we had a staff meeting shortly after, and shortly a couple of days after he started, and I told him that it was about the happiest that I'd been in in the last year to have that have that help. And he's worked out great. He uh, he's a local guy who uh, spent the last year and a half down in Sarasota with uh, the Baltimore Orioles at their spring training complex. And so, real hands-on, been able to been able to get on everything that we needed to get done to this point. And so, um, it's nice to nice to have somebody to have some conversation with. Caleb, when you and I had our our phone call the other day, one of the topics that really stood out was was family. And you said you had a, a one year old. You know, how has the transition into baseball and transitioning back to North Carolina? How how has that been? with your family life and how do you anticipate the rigors of minor league baseball uh, to impact your family? Um, as far as, you know, right now, you know, we're, we're still kind of able to work those, those normal hours at the stadium We're we're not really in the heat of it yet, but we're getting more and more busy, but you know, for us, it's a, a lot of it is, it's nice being back around family where, you know, the, the times that I do have to be at work a lot that, we can call on, you know, the grandparents and, you know, other family members to to help out, to be around when needed because my wife does does still work some. But, you know, for me, just kind of thinking ahead and as me and my wife are having conversations of, okay, what's baseball season going to look like with a child? How can I make sure that my family still comes first, that I'm still around? Because, you know, it's easy and especially in baseball in the heat of a baseball season to – to pretty much live it way. I mean, you could almost just sleep in your office and wake up and, and never stop working. And, uh, and my personality, a thing that I have to work on a lot is I can easily become a workaholic. I can easily really worry about my field and think, Oh, I have to be here all hours of the day or, you know, the whole thing is going to die. I wake up in a sweat at night. like, Oh, my field's dead. <laughs> and so, and just talking to her of like, okay, what can I do to make sure that the time that, I am here working that I'm as diligent with my time as possible, that every second that I'm here, I'm, I'm working hard to accomplish the tasks that I have to accomplish. And what tasks can wait till tomorrow? You know, what, what small little things of, okay, like I can get this done. Me and my assistant can, we can come in 30 minutes early tomorrow and get this done, but will allow me to get home for, for dinner with, my daughter or my wife or okay I, I just need to trust our irrigation system tonight and turn it on and, and go home and be with my family and then also with us my wife and I've been you know talking about how can we be creative during baseball season when we have these six game homestands where it's easy where you'll come into work at 8 9 in the morning and you're not leaving until midnight if we have a rain delay, who knows what time you're going to be home. And so how can we be creative in these times to make sure that 
you know, that I'm still around that, that we're still able to, to see each other and have that family time. And so, you know, maybe that's my wife and daughter, you know, spending a lot more time at the ballpark, you know, they come into the games and hanging out, coming and, and eating lunch with me. I know my wife already has lot when her and the baby like go out walking, you know, they'll just come here to the ballpark and walk laps around the warning track while I'm working. And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a general manager who is who's all about family time and making sure that that's a priority. So they don't mind if my my daughter's crawling across the grass like they're like, bring bring your kids like we're lucky enough to work in a facility when we don't have games that they can come and hang out as long as you're getting your job done. You know, I, I don't care if they're walking laps around or just sitting in the outfield, just just being around. And so just little things like that. That's one thing that's always been a struggle for me is the balance between family and work because I can easily be a workaholic. And I always see things that I, I think need to be done. And oftentimes I think I need to be the one to do them, even though I, I don't, you know, we have a, a good crew here. I don't have to do everything. You know, it's been fun for me. My son's now four. It's, over the last year, I've been able to bring him out here and he's done some work with me in this past baseball seasons. We were prepping for, for the spring uh, to start up, he came out, he brought his, he's got a little tool set. He, he came out and he, he raked the edges with me and, you know, he rode around on the drag with me. And I mean, he's, you know, I, unfortunately I think he's learning to be a, a groundskeeper and he will probably, you know, I, I would rather him do something more with his life. My goals for him are, you know, major league baseball hall of famer, um, big contract, you know, Mike, Mike Trout contract so I can quit working. But, I, you know, I, I feel like he's becoming, you know, a little groundskeeper. He loves being outside. He loves he always asking if he can come, you know, even if it's just spreading mulch, doesn't have to be prepping one of our fields. He just wants to be out here and, and working. And it, it can be difficult. Matt, how have you, you know, you have a 20 plus year career in minor league baseball and, and I believe two daughters. How have you been able to manage your family life with your career? I, I've been able to manage it just because my wife is, has, I mean, she's stepped up and done a fantastic job. I mean, it's, the seasons have been, they're challenging. I mean, they're, they're tough. Um, but I think just communicating and having that understanding. And for me, you know, Caleb, you touched on it, the, the workaholic lifestyle and sleeping in your office. And for a long time, that's kind of how I, that's how I've operated. But with the with the the last year that we've that we've gone through with COVID, I've been very upfront with with my supervisors and and told them that you know I've gotten to see kind of how the other half lived for the last year. Uh, to your point, I mean I think it's I think you come into it with a with a kind of a refreshing outlook. I think a lot of it's probably and I don't know how old you are. I think a lot of it's generational um, where there are a lot of things that I wish that I had realized earlier in my career. Um, but I'm glad that I've realized them now and take the time when you can take it because in the, in the middle of a season there, there's not going to be times and surround yourself with good quality, qualified people and trust them to do their jobs. You know, I was very upfront with, with uh, my assistant when I brought him, brought him in that there are going to be times when we have outside events at this ballpark that, I'm not going to be here because I'm tired of missing a lot of things that I've missed. And we'll see how that goes. It went well last year. And my daughter's got a soccer tournament coming up in a couple of weeks that's outside of 
outside of the Charlotte area and we have events scheduled. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go watch my daughter play soccer. Um, uh, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. It's, uh, and, and a lot of the times I think when, when the going does get really tough, I'm, I'm fortunate that my wife will remind me of what's really important in life. And, and that, that's not a bad thing. It's just sometimes in our situations, we need to be reminded of that. You know, when the team's out of town, trust your irrigation, run the, run the irrigation on your infield. But when the team's in town and the reality of the situation is, is that a lot of the times when I'm getting home, my kids and my wife have been in bed for hours. And so I actually try to squeeze in during a homestand. I'll try, I'll stay and try to squeeze in more work later at night so that I can be there and be up in the morning and, and spend time with them in the morning when they're, when they're around the house, especially in the summertime when they don't have school. Those are things that I do, but everybody's got to make it work for themselves and what's best for their, their family and, and their situation. So. One of the fun things that this podcast that we've started has been for me, uh, one of the fun things for me has been that uh, my son loves editing the podcast. He won't tell me which voice he likes better yet, whether it's Clark or Matt or mine. Um, but I was asking him last night if he could even figure out which one was mine. But uh, you said something about age there, Matt, and I have a question for Clark. So in the last podcast, uh, Clark, we talked about uh, six pack and I believe you said it came out in what was it 84? I think it was 82, 81 or 82. 82. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about six pack, you're like, I don't think, you know, these other guys were even alive when this was out. So I'm just curious. How old do you think I am, Clark? How old do you think I look? Uh, you're not 40. That's right. I shaved my I shaved my beard off. I am not forty. You're not forty. That's all that matters to me. Is you're you're below forty, which means that you're I'm not. I didn't say I was below forty. I just said I wasn't forty. But you're much younger than me. So I'll <laughs> I'm, leave it I'm forty. I'm forty two. So I was I was alive when six pack was out. I would. I'm, I might have been four. When I was younger, my dad was a fireman, and so we would we would go to all the either the firehouse or we would go to you know, another fireman's house and we would watch races and they would get this big pool together. I absolutely hated it when I was a kid because it was just a, a bunch of adults watching cars go around the track. Yeah. I just, I wanted to see how old you thought I was because I, I was alive in 80, 82. <laughs> okay. Well, you weren't old enough to get into the PG movie without, well, maybe you were, that was before PG 13. So it took me a while to see six pack and that, uh, Kenny Rogers, the Pete Kenny Rogers. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was, there was some strong language in that movie. So if you're watching it with your kids, you might want to, uh, well, it's PG's parental guidance is suggested. So, but it's a good, but it's a good film. Caleb, you're in Hickory, man. That's, that's NASCAR country there. Right. So if you gotten into that, any at all? Well, funny story, my wife's family, they're all race car drivers. So they're big in the racing scene. My wife grew up racing dirt track go-karts when she was little. Yeah, her sister still races to this day. Her husband races. And then my my wife's father, he, he grew up racing, was big in the scene, still big in the scene. And so she comes from a racing family. They're, they're like racing royalty around this area. So yeah, I've, I've been I've been around it quite a bit. Um, I enjoy it. 
I like just going up to the garage and hanging out and being around the car. I keep asking them if they can put another seat in it so I can go for a ride. But <laughs> Hickory is a you know a lot of history there and going back to stock car racing in that whole area. I mean, it's just uh, a lot of great started there in Hickory, Hickory Speedway. Yeah, I hear stories all the time about, you know, every every family dinner, there's always a story about, you know, remember when you raced against this guy or, or this guy or when, you know, my, my father, I remember when he beat Dale Jr. when they were racing, they beat him all the time, like, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, Dale Jr., are you serious? <laughs> and they're like, well, they I'm sure the margins of victories got bigger and bigger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every Every year. Yeah. So it was, uh, it, it's really cool to kind of be in that scene. And, you know, my wife, she's funny. She's, uh, she's one of these girls. She's, she's very big into fashion and, and makeup and, and just girly girl. And you meet her, you wouldn't think that she would be into anything like this or that she used to race dirt track. And you, you take her to a racetrack and especially when her sister's racing and she just becomes like, She's up screaming. I'm like, where did this redneck come out of you? I don't know. <laughs> like, this is great. She said, don't ever say that again. <laughs> Mark, speaking of racing, what do you think of them racing on the dirt at Bristol last week? It's cool. I've said for years, there's one thing you say about NASCAR or that you can't say about NASCAR is they're not trying new things to get new audiences and to make news. So uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I was. Uh, I thought it was. It actually turned out to be a pretty entertaining race too. I'd heard a lot of the experts say that they didn't think it was going to turn out too well, but I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, it ended up being a pretty entertaining race. And you know, they're doing all they can to create new interest and new things. So uh, I like it. I, I like some of the new things. Yeah, I wish I'd gotten to see it. I was all amped up for it on Sunday, and then they had the rains come through, I think pushed it. That's where I look at NASCAR and baseball. The weather seems to – that spring weather seems to seems to get both of us, bite us both. But I was looking forward to it on Monday afternoon, but back to what we were talking about earlier. And that was – you know, you know, when they announced they were going to do that dirt race, and I really didn't think about it until like a week or two before, but I thought – because I, I don't really know much about dirt racing. But I've always been curious about the dirt. I did go up to the dirt race at Charlotte. It was a, back in the fall. The dirt track prep to me, in my mind, has to be somewhat similar to maintaining an infield skin. Obviously, it's, I'm sure it's, there's a lot of differences, more differences probably, but then, then, then there are similarities. But I'd love to sit down and talk with some of those track prep guys and just kind of to see, like, are the what, what kind of dirt makes a good dirt track? You know, is it kind of the same thing that makes a good infield skin material as far as the the breakdown of of silt, sand, clay? Those things interest me, but also the fact, okay, when it gets wet, how do you dry it out? And of course, they did that and did a pretty daggum good job of it. It looked like there you go, Robbie. That's a future booking on cultivating roots. Yeah, there we go. Caleb, Caleb may even know somebody we could talk to. Sure, I can find out. And from what I understand, just like baseball players, I think all of those drivers have their ideas of of which track is best and who knows what they're doing and who doesn't know what they're doing as far as track prep. And so, uh, 
it, that that sounds very familiar. I've talked to some drivers, and they're like, oh yeah, we went up to such and such speedway, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. It, it's too slick, or it's not not slick enough, or whatever. So it sounds like baseball players complaining about infield skins. Well, we appreciate your time today, Caleb. We're really excited to have you, and we wish you all the best in your first year with the Crawl Dads. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Look forward to, to being around and getting to know you guys some more, and, and good luck to you guys this, this season. Thanks, Thanks, Caleb. Good. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you. We'll catch you next time.